Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. My name is Connie. And I'm Danny. And as our Lenten journey continues, we invite you to join us as we walk with Jesus Christ ever closer to Jerusalem, the cross, and the empty tomb. Let us worship God. Come on in. The first lesson comes to us from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive them of their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from the gospel of John. We move from last week, John 3, 16 and 17, to John 12. We are in John 12, 20 through 33. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies and bears much fruit, those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Jesus continues, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we begin in 1896. 
Giacomo Puccini is an Italian composer, and he has crafted several of the most beloved operas that we know in, in that time period. For those of you who don't follow opera or don't know, what's the one opera that you may know the title of? Oh, no. What was it? Oh, no, excuse me. Cosi von Tutu. What, another? Madame Butterfly, right. <laughs> that's Puccini, and that's a few years later. But before that, he begins and crafts this opera around the story of young artists in Paris. Now, the two main characters are Rodolfo, a poet, and Mimi, who's a seamstress. And they live with a group of others whom they may call Bohemians. And by that, we mean those who are living unconventionally, often associated with artists or artistry. In this case, many of them are artists and they are poor. They're trying to eke out an existence. They're all living together and trying to figure out how to pay rent from month to month, how to find food, how to survive. It talks about their interrelationships. And in the midst of all of that struggling for survival, there is a plague of tuberculosis that they also deal with that winds up taking Mimi's life. So fast forward to 1983. A young playwright named Billy Aronson, Bill, that's not you, is it? No, no, not our member, Bill Aronson, another. Billy Aronson, a playwright, has just moved to Manhattan, moved to the area known as Hell's Kitchen. And immediately he has discovered that he is surrounded by many societal ills, whether it is poverty, including hunger, homelessness, people trying to figure out how to pay the rent month to month, people trying to figure out how to survive. And at that time, it wasn't tuberculosis, it was the AIDS, HIV crisis. Again, this is 83, when that started to bubble up into the national view. So that night in 1983, this playwright goes and watches the opera La Boheme by Puccini. And it chronicles what he feels is a similar, similar events that are taking place around him. Again, with these young bohemian artists just trying to survive, living unconventionally, meaning they're not on the track of uh, school and college and marriage and kids and kind of that track, that traditional track. They're living a bohemian lifestyle unconventionally. And after he sees La Boheme, he is convicted that he wants to do an update or build a show, a play, a musical around that premise of La Boheme from Puccini. And so he, along with composer Jonathan Larson, 
write the musical Rent. It is difficult. It is hard subject matter. But many similarities, even some similar named characters, as Rent was based on La Boheme. Almost 100 years later, from 1896 to 1996, Rent opened on Broadway. And it chronicled a similar life situation. An apartment with several young artisans, whether they are painters and poets or seamstresses or philosophers, they're all crammed together in this space trying to eke out a living. They're not stable in their food, their housing. They have a hard time paying the rent. The story chronicles their relationships with one another. In that difficult time and place, again, it's not tuberculosis, but this virus, this HIV that surrounded them at the time. One of the great things to come out of Rent, or well-known, is one of the songs. There are 42 songs that come out of Rent. And by the way, several Tony Awards, one of only eight Broadway musicals to win a Pulitzer Prize for drama. It had a 12-year run, some $280 million, one of the most successful shows in Broadway history. So one of the shows, one of the songs that you may know called Seasons of Love. If you don't know that, it's the one with the big number of minutes in it. Couldn't quite get clearance to sing it. The choir would have been so good. And I'm not going to destroy it by trying to do the same. But that number, 525,600 minutes, is the number of minutes in a year. And at this point in the story, they are looking back and kind of evaluating their year, their past year of hardships, of good times, of their friendships, of their love interests. Some people die in the play, as did the opera. And so they're looking at that number of minutes and, and asking the question throughout the song, how do you measure a year? How do you measure a year? Is it with daylight, not singing it, not singing it, with sunset, midnight, cups of coffee, laughter, strife? Is it in the truth that she learned or the times that he cried, in the bridges he burned or the way that she died How did they measure a year? And how do we? Today marks our year anniversary. In this minute, it's been 525,600 minutes 
since this church shut down due to the COVID virus. Last year, it was March 22nd, and the week before, we probably should have shut down. But if you remember, there was a a Thursday, that 12th. I remember because I made plane reservations to go see a friend, a buddy in Texas I hadn't seen in a long time. We were going to go fishing after Easter. (laughs) I made that reservation that Thursday morning. By Thursday evening, I knew I would never go. It seemed that this was for real and we were going to have to take immediate action. And it was Thursday and Friday before we really realized So we went ahead and did Sunday, and then this Sunday again, a year ago, we shut down and have not fully opened since. Not everyone has fully returned. We are still under COVID protocols. We still wear masks, and we distance, and we take our temperature, and we do hand sanitizing, and we contact trace. All of those things that have kept us safe thus far are still in place. If you remember, uh, Chris Peebles came right before worship and said, what is that mess up there? He didn't say that exactly that way, but that's what he was saying. If you remember, mm, this has been over here in worship since last Easter. If you remember, last year's Easter theme was in the wilderness, based on Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And we had 10 or 15 of these little displays of sand and stone and sticks, things that you would find in Jesus's desert wilderness. And they were all across the front of the chancel. And COVID really fit nicely with our wilderness theme. Because all of a sudden we found ourselves in a new wilderness that we had not prepared for, we didn't quite understand, and we didn't know how to move forward. And the quick of this is that we decided that we would leave this here as a symbol that when we entered the wilderness with Jesus a year ago, we haven't really left that wilderness. And when we can fully open the church, when we can get rid of these masks and we can shake hands and we can hug one another and we can be a family a little bit closer than the way that we have, we will get rid of that. But until then, it marks that that bit of COVID wilderness still remains. 5,000 2,500, 600 minutes. I can't, nor do I have the time to walk through the year for everybody, but my goodness, what a solemn occasion marking the year. There have been times of strife and times of laughter. I remember in the shutdown the first couple of weeks, not so bad. It was kind of nice. We saved time with all the hassle with the the girls in the morning. I have a high school and middle school students. Didn't have to get them to school. They were already there in their rooms. Didn't lose time in transition coming and going from the office. 
things were a little bit different. I even started working. I lost about 15 pounds in the beginning of the process. Don't worry, my COVID-19 is back. That's like your freshman 15 in college, but now it's the COVID-19 you've gained through the process. Don't worry, it's back. But then it continued. And I think if you would have told any of us at that moment that we, a year later, would still be dealing with this, I just simply wouldn't have believed you. I thought there was no way last spring that we would even in the fall be considering anything for schools that would be different. Come on. If this is like the flu, the flu has a season, right? It hits pretty hard for a while and then it, then it goes away. Well, it's not what happened as we know. Everything had to change. Everything and everybody had to adjust. Family units. You could no longer see generations or those who might be in a high-risk category. It cut off a lot of connectedness, connectedness with those outside of the people that you live with. Businesses, oh my goodness. Imagine in the course of a couple of days or at the most a week saying, how do we do what we do to make a living now that we can't be together or go, or if you're the rest of us, we can't go out to get products or services, at least again in that beginning part. Not everybody could throw their business online. Dan, a little bit hard to get the whitewater experience online, correct? You can't zip line at home. So many businesses struggle. Even those that had products that could, maybe weren't yet ready to be fully online. Schools, teachers, God bless every single one of you. Whether schools have been closed or open, you've had to figure out how to teach in a whole different environment. Students, you've had to figure out how to learn and be in relationship with one another in a whole new environment. And our schools have been open, so those teachers and, and students have had the choice, families have had the choice, and so some of the students are there in person and some of them are at home. Think about the teaching challenges that that presents. My goodness. We may have found some new hobbies. We may have gotten bored. We may have looked around the house and say, why, how haven't we fixed that before? And maybe you did that. Or maybe you thought, why are we still in this house at all? Those people you were sequestered, quarantined with, went through cycles of being the only ones that you could see for a while, which there is joy and there is challenge. You again. Can't go to work. Usually, most of us don't see each other during the day because we're at school, we're all different work, we're all doing our things, and now we're 24-7. Again, some joy in that and some challenge. Our medical community that never took their time off, our first responders, so many who lived so bravely through the worst parts of this, God bless all of you and thank you. Church, same way. Within a matter of days, 
How do we remain as a family? How do we continue to practice the call that Christ has called us to when all we can do is online? And not everybody wants to do that or is committed to figuring that out. Not everybody wants to be in that environment. And we still are both doing in-person and Zoom meetings as everybody not yet is welcome or comfortable to come back. The politics, good gravy. I don't have to say anything more. The social ills as we were looking at racial justice, as we were looking at the virus, as we were looking at the election cycle. Not so different in some ways from Rent and La Boheme. There were illnesses in each one of those that undergird the whole story, as there is with ours. That group of people learning to seek to find their way in a world that was different. And we are the same. So how do we gauge this year? How do we look back? Well, I want to take a look at what John tells us about Jesus to talk about that a little bit. So they are at Passover. All these uh, Jews have gathered Remember, in John, one Passover as opposed to three in the other three Gospels. So this is the one event. Everyone has gathered, and some Greeks, some Greeks, meaning non-Jews, maybe they had converted Judaism, that's why they were there, but certainly not from the traditional house of Israel. They go to Philip, hey, we'd like to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And Philip seems befuddled. He goes to Andrew, who says, they, they want to see Jesus. Andrew goes, I, I don't know, let's ask him. So they both go. And we assume that they're there not too far away as Jesus then begins to talk about what's going to happen. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And talks about this idea of this grain of wheat that has to die before it can bear fruit. Talking about his crucifixion and resurrection, which they don't quite fully understand. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it. Uh, Threads that we have run through Mark already in this Lenten journey. And then goes on to this second piece, of Jesus' soul being troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come. Reminiscent of Esther to some degree, if you remember that Old Testament story, Esther, who is Jewish, marries the Persian king, Xerxes. He sends his first wife, into banishment because she won't come to his drunken party with just a crown on. Good for her. So they get rid of her and they go through a 12-month process of trying to find the prettiest maiden in the land. And guess what? Our Esther wins. And through this process, a plot is hatched 
by the king's right-hand man, Haman, because he doesn't like Esther's uncle, Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow to Haman. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to wipe out all the Jews because Haman didn't bow down to me, the second in command, not even the king. So through Esther, a series of, really, it's a series of eight feasts that comprises that book. And she very cleverly, and they don't know that she's Jewish, saddles up to the king and says, Haman is trying to kill me and all of my people. And then Haman winds up dying uh, on the gallows that he constructed for Mordecai. But the reason we're connected here is because Mordecai tells Esther that she has to stand up or her people are going to be wiped out. And he says, you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. And this is when Jesus says, I have come to this place for this hour, in essence, for such a time as this. Friends, as we look at this past year, we are being called to think about where we have been. I know we just want to get through and move on like it never happened, but we need to think about there's so much to learn, there was so much to grieve. We lost loved ones, we lost the way that our lives worked. There is internal and external ramifications. We can't just let it all go. And as we start to emerge, which we are, we need to be asking ourselves, what is this time that we have been placed right now? Have we been placed in this time and place for a time such as this? The answer is yes. In the song, Seasons of Love, they answer the question, how do we measure a year? Jesus answers it first. They measure it by acts of love. We don't remember Jesus. What if Jesus would have just been that moral authority and a great teacher that some people just look at Christ and say, yes, I look at his teachings and nothing more than that. Okay. Or maybe the healings, but not much more than that. It is Jesus and God through Christ, God's consistent gifts of love, which cause us to follow. If you look at the end of someone's life, many accomplishments, and yes, those need to be celebrated, but what endears people to people are the gifts of love and the way that they live their lives in love. And this year is no different. Look back and see where you have been involved in gifts of love or moments of love for others and the way others have reached out in gifts of love for you. And as Christians, this is directly tied to our faith, Christ calling us to love one another, especially in difficult times. So although we may have felt alone, we are never alone. We seek to see Jesus just like those Greeks. How do we do that? Through acts of love. We are being called to this time, a moment such as this, friends and family and the world, to show acts of Christ's love so that we can continue 
to emerge as the people we are being called to be, the church we are being called to be, the city, the state, the nation, and the world. The answer of the song is measure in love. I want to sing it, but I can't. Go listen to it. We asked you to look at the video ahead of time. If not, you can find an email and go see one particular video. Acts of love, seasons of love is how we are called to live our life. Jesus lived his three years in that season of love in his ministry, but started from his birth. Let us now stand and live and judge our ministry and our individual walk with Christ in this season of love. Hallelujah. Amen.